Welcome to Composer's Corner. In this episode, I catch up with Christopher Willis on his recent work that includes the incredible music for Demon 79 from the TV series Black Mirror, as well as his lyrical score for the feature animated film Lamia's Poem. Willis is an Emmy award-winning composer, arranger, songwriter, and pianist whose diverse career spans film and television soundtracks, interactive media, popular music, and concert works. Uh, just as a little background, I didn't know anything about Black Mirror. Friends of mine talked about it. They said it was great. When uh, Michael Carlson on Facebook said, oh, saw the Demon 79 episode scored by Christopher Willis. And they said, oh, he's, and he's channeling all the mid-20th century modernist type stuff. Like, oh, I have to see that. And I, w- I wasn't disappointed. Did the director specifically have that in mind or did you have to kind of, was that your interpretation of the, the subject matter and then you convinced him? Um. It was mostly uh, the former. All credit to uh, the director, Toby Haynes, and to Charlie Brooker and the other producers and writers. Um, I mean, it's such a test for them, I think, making a Black Mirror because, um, you know, each one is its own own thing. It's it's an anthology series. So the money and the time available to completely create a world are very finite so it could so easily end up looking very cheap and bad and the fact that it ended up as you say it feels incredibly cinematic and incredibly carefully thought through that's really a testament well to all of them but certainly to toby uh uh who uh, you know is able to approach something um so cinematically and is in and and is, is not afraid of the fact that you know they probably only get a you know, a, a fraction of the time in a given setting to shoot a scene that they would have on a movie, and the, the, the I imagine the prop budget and every aspect of the budget is is quite limited. But yeah, he does everything he needs to with with pacing and and lighting and um, yeah, and so also with the music. There there was when I came on board, there was already a very clear idea uh, of what they or what they were thinking about. They were, of course, that you can tell from the episode that they're interested in sort of mid-century or kind of 60s 70s aesthetics and and the, the language of, of horror movies and even of yeah absolutely of concert music from that period there were there were lots of discussions about the shining which we all admired very much so that's that's a one jumping off point as with any of these things it could have gone it could still have gone in a few directions and and you can probably tell my, my aesthetic as as gleaned from other things I definitely sort of pushed for it to do a certain thing. I thought it would be very interesting and strange and unusual if we really went for that for that target. I, I, something that I was saying to them is that, of course, the the lang- a lot of those aleatoric sounds evolved from being these concert music techniques into being the standard tricks of horror movies. But in their process, a lot of them were made much more pragmatic and and simpler. So that in a, a piece of Ligeti or a piece of Penderecki, the score fans out into, you know, thousands of staves um, and, and everyone's notation is incredibly precise. You know, the fourth bases are in quintuplets, but the, but the third bases are in um, triplets. And that language evolved into something that a, a lot of us who work in films know about now, which is sort of, you know, you have menus, you have your symphobia, 
and you have your risers and and um, all that kind of thing. And 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 in order to try and get back to that, to strip away the 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 pragmatism, um, we, I sort of wanted to make it difficult for myself, you know, and go back and and try and write with a lot of effort because I think the sound is not exactly the same and the things that happen are not exactly the same if they've been obsessed over in that very uh, that very modernist way. I mean, the, those old Ligeti pieces, he makes everything look kind of like it's a fugue, even though you can't hear a damn thing. You know, he's 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 they're they're, they're very they're very concerned that it should look scary and and sort of it should feel like it's part of this this very intellectual tradition of, of Webern and and uh, you know other things. I was re-listening to our interview and you were talking about academia and I know that you you were sort of had mixed feelings about some of that because you came up at the time like myself where if you were studying music you were in composition you were pushed to write in that kind of realm very highly cerebral and not very tonal. It seemed like as as once you get past that is that like a reverse re- rebel? Like when you when you're younger, you rebel against the academia, and you want to write tonal music. And then as you get older, you you see how it sits in sort of the grand scheme of the Western music development. Oh man, that's very good. That's a good question. That's a very searching question. I haven't quite resolved that myself, but I totally agree. It's so funny. I mean, I'm just going to rehash what you said uh, at first. But yes, you know, I all the way through school, I felt funneled into this kind of late, late modernist mindset that I found very stifling because I just felt that my education wasn't finished. You know, I could barely write a barcarolle type texture and, and we were moving on to, you know, finding my voice and cutting up pieces of paper with little bits of music on them and hanging them from the ceiling and, and stripping naked and, <laughs> and screaming in the middle of concerts and all that. And I, <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's so funny. Oh, that ever since I almost, uh, um, I, I'm, and I'm thinking about this out loud because I haven't really have trouble piecing it together myself. Ever since I got off the plane in LA, you know, 15 years ago, or whatever, I seem to have been drawn. You know, I remember going back and listening because I wasn't even a big expert in film music, and I remember going, you know, starting to really explore film music and realizing how drawn I was to the stuff that was tonally most most difficult. You know, I, I, I had a whole sort of reawakening of discovering John Williams and Star Wars and, and his whole output and realizing that it was less, way more atonal than I'd realized. And then you go, to, you go to Goldsmith and you go to Planet of the Apes and you go to all these horror scores as well. And, and, and yeah, the weird thing is I'm finding myself drawn, drawn back into that... Um, that flavor that, that, that as a teenager I was so bothered by. But there's something about approaching it historically and understanding where it came from that helps. You know, now now I know the 20th century so much better than I did before. And, and, and I kind of understand how exciting and rebellious, for want of a better word, it, it all was in the 50s and 60s. When, when and, and also, some of it's good and some of it's bad. The way that it was taught to me in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s was very sort of dogmatic. There was hardly even a place for saying that any of it was bad. And a lot of the stuff that was being shoved at me was sort of by British composers that no one's listened to again since then. And I remember every time they came on the radio, the announcer would have to give a little hand to how amazing this piece was before you heard it. And it always felt very sort of forced and kind of like, you don't do that with every other piece of music. Why are you telling me how amazing this is? So... It was very sort of, yeah, it's, it's a very, very different experience coming back to it all 
And coming back to the best stuff, you know, the ligaty, the stuff that's so tasty, that works so well without actually needing tonality. But uh, yeah, I think maybe you and I feel very similarly about, about this. Yeah. Well, one obvious answer in, in, as to how you can not like that music at one stage of life and then, and then come back to it is, of course, it's, um, it's, it's very different if it's found at home in, on film. Um, in some ways, I wonder if that's, if, that's, if that's too easy because now I, now I even can understand how exciting it must have been to go to a, a concert of, of Ligeti. But they, I do think that's part of the answer. It's how I feel to some extent about, um, about the second Viennese school um, and the and the, the 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 evolution to what um, you know Scott Bradley and to some extent Carl Stalling did with it. You know a lot of a lot of that Looney Tunes um, uh, and and MGM stuff is 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 so spiky and does seem to be very heavily influenced by um, by Schoenberg and by and by that sort of very spiky uh, modernism um, and. By and large, I think I actually, well, st- I definitely listen to it more when I'm watching cartoons than I do seeking it out <laughs> in the original Viennese version in concerts. So I, I think it, it's a bit blasphemous to say, but it, I almost feel like it finally, finally found a home when when the cartoon cartoon composers adapted it. With the with the mid-century with the ligatier and stuff finding a home in horror, I. I, I would I would still go to a concert of of, uh, of the original, but but again it did sort of it did sort of help I think you know, um, that stuff getting borrowed by Hollywood. Um, yeah, yeah. The 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 needle dropping on The Exorcist and The Shining in particular, I think worked better. And same with Demon Seventy Nine, they, they were clearly going for almost a documentary feel. It didn't feel heavily dramatized even the 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 music that you supplied the underscore is very atmospheric uh i did like i especially did like though the part where she finds the talisman and there's kind of that piano violin i don't know if you were you were uh, there was any kind of system that you used to or you just it was free kind of atonality or whatnot or you were rocking the fibonacci sequence like bartok There wasn't really a system, but there's a lot of like. This is going to sound too pat, but you know, if there's a bit that sounds wrong, you do start. Well, you start doing work. You work instinctively something, and then if there's a bit that sounds wrong, you start looking at the pictures and wondering if, if there's one that you've missed, or if there's some pattern that that, that your brain is 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 wanting. Uh, but yes, I, I, I um that that bit is a little sort of earlier in inspiration. A lot of the rest is it's very it's quite Bartoki with the glisses. Uh, yeah, it was nice to have a chance to do a to do a a, a, a gentler, um, sort of subtly twisted rather than this this really manic stuff that a lot of the rest of it is.
What what kind of group did you have for that? And that was that was that local or was that um, like a remote type of recording? Well, wow. so this is very interesting. So I um uh the, both the orchestra and the choir in in Demon Seventy Nine were with the result of a bit of an experiment. Um, for a lot of experiments over the years on on TV shows on Mickey Mouse and things like that, um, I you know when when time and money are limited but you really want it to sound a certain way um so the orchestra i did a thing i've never this is this is opening the 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 um opening the lid on on secret techniques i <laughs> i i had always wondered if this might be possible and i think i think it might only be possible if it's if the music is atonal i really really didn't want to use samples because i just you know you've just felt that it that you that you would feel the realness um but it was going to be very very tough to get the a proper size an orchestra of the size that i wanted and of course we could have yeah, as you mentioned we could have perhaps phoned into somewhere um somewhere that's cheaper but i was worried about the techniques and the specificity of the music and the language gap that i that you that we'd have you know if i'm if i'm on Zoom talking in English and then someone translates it to German and then the conductor translates it to Hung- Hungarian. <laughs> um, um, so, so what I, so, so we did, we did it um, uh, uh, in, in um, the English speaking world, <laughs> um, but we did it with basically a third of an orchestra. Um, all of the sections that would have three things, we had one of them. In fact, we had one of almost everything except for the strings, and then we had a small string section. And literally, each cue was written to be to, with with three or four passes. Um, now, the trouble with this, if you were actually writing nice music that was tonal, is that I think each pass would be intolerably weird, and you wouldn't. It'd be very hard to know for sure if your tuning was any good. Um, I mean, you could do it. I want maybe one day I will try, it, but I think it would be very unsettling. Whereas if it's all deliberate, if it's all atonal and it's all clusters, then I think you can tolerate. It still doesn't sound. It would sound much more exciting if it was everyone together. But you can get past one done and convince yourself that you probably nailed it, and then go back and do past two. Um, uh, uh, the choir is 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 even fewer people, but but over the years we've we've got a lot of techniques on other things I've done. Um, with choir, with pitching the the having the singers sing it lots of times at different pitches. You sing it above and then pitch them down, and have them sing it below and pitch them up. Um, and then the, I, the, my my mixer Satoshi Naguchi, shout out to Satoshi, is a genius, and we've been working for many years on these kinds of problems. I've told everybody if there's you know if that's the best seven minutes you're going to hear in the from in the next little while. Oh man, so. that's really nice. No, I'm really glad to do. But I wasn't with so so little of it. I wasn't sure. I mean, and I haven't talked that much to people about it. So I, I'd so you you're the perfect person to chat to about it because I uh, I can tell you can you could you were picking up everything that I was throwing down or whatever the expression is. It definitely gave me a, a newfound appreciation for uh, particularly Penderecki. There's that trick whereby you tell each person to do a, big, a given thing. You give them a sort of uh, a sort of module of stuff to do, and then the the, the aggregate effect is is um, is totally surprising. Is 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 crazy. You know, each person is straining to do this particular sequence of bizarre actions. I don't know how he 
got there, perhaps by workshopping a whole bunch. We had a, he had a, a string orchestra at his disposal. And, I mean, I don't think in a million years I would have figured a lot of those things out. So, I, so there's a lot of debt to him in there with, with, with me kind of using pretty similar types of, of tricks to the ones that you find in Penderecki. And I, and I, how, you know, you hear them and they sound perfectly horrific and, and, and evocative. And then you see what it is that each person's doing. And it, I mean, it's crazy that the, the effect that you get. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of me learning from Penderecki in those, in those seven minutes, especially in the cues in the middle. I don't, I don't want, I want to get on to Lamia's poem. I guess we, you talked about that as we were concluding our last interview, so you were just heading into that project. I think it must have been stop start. If I was, if it was early 2020, then I probably didn't get that much done right away. I was, I was probably, you know, I would have got one cut and then been not sure whether I should start. And then it's, it's often tricky, you know, with a, with a with an animated film, you're trying to decide should I launch in, even though I've got what I'm looking at is is animatics and unfinished, or should I wait and give, you know, and then I'll have less. I'll have what I what I'm working with is more vivid, but I'll have less time. Um, um, yes, that's crazy. I mean, and of course, now here we are in 2023. So um, they they were laboring to 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 switch over to finishing the whole thing remotely, which they were able to do. And and uh, I I was yes, I was writing a lot of it over the summer and then in the fall. And as, uh, the 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 um, whole COVID situation was such a roller coaster. There was a feeling in late ish 2020 around thanksgiving 2020 everyone thought that it was almost done and that la was opening up 
and I was making plans to record the strings all together in one room and then by sometime uh, in the fall by the time I actually finished the score that was suddenly that was completely off the table again so actually the strings that you hear are tracked up in the most laborious way uh, credit to the musicians who, who, who were able to, to tune with each other you know you start from the bottom and that, that generally helps so that the, the viola is tuning to the cello and the violin is tuning to, to the violas and cellos but it was um, one of a few projects where I really I, I definitely bonded with the people I was working with but without meeting them in person and that's so strange so the director of this Alex Cronomer and, and a whole splurge of Mickey Mouse's had to be done remotely and endless jazz big band had to be recorded remotely which is so depressing and then uh, uh, Cat Burglar I, the, I, the, I wrote Cat Burglar and worked with the, the with the filmmakers on Cat Burglar completely remotely although mercifully we did we recorded that the following summer and by then London was was open and we were able to record that in person and I'm so happy we were one thing that really strikes me about the score is how it it juggles or contrasts this lyrical humanity with this very dissonant inhumanity, obviously the subject matter uh, very much dictating that. I was just wondering if you can talk a bit more about how you balance those two elements from the score. Yeah, well, it's funny actually. When I, when I first started talking to them about the score, I think we had, we had images of it being sort of a big kind of fantasy score, being all orchestra and, and, the, and the light and shade being the kind of light and shade that you'd that you'd imagine um, in a in a you know Mulan or or I don't know a, a, a Disney movie, and then as it evolved, we were just finding that that wasn't um, that wasn't what we were drawn to. That wasn't that wasn't working. And 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 as you say, the the contrast between the the sort of the dreams and the hopes and the and the civility and the humanity on the one hand, and then and the kind of evil, you know, this sort of um, the guns and the and the and the these kind of beasts in the in the dream world and the kind of tanks and armies in the real world that that got darker and darker and it felt okay i i i wasn't sure at first if it would but yeah so there's 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 this very airy string texture with sort of harp harp being these sort of kind of representing fireflies and and things there are synths and there are kind of um even more than since there are there are just certain reverbs and certain um, delays that make the organic stuff sound a little bit sort of otherworldly. But the, yeah, then then when the evil things come in, it's very very gruesome sounding, and it's kind of music that I've I've written here and there for many years, especially when I used to work in other composers' studios because I worked on some very sort of normal mainstream scores back then. But in my own stuff that's been released, I haven't really. Uh, done that kind of thing i haven't showcased that kind of thing before so it's kind of nice for me i mean and, and I, I really admire the people who do that really well uh i think ludwig goranson is 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 great i'm uh, often pouring over his soundscapes because i think he's just he's just so good at um manipulating uh, a sound like that so yeah yeah it was fun for me to do the evil bits the the, the attacks and the chases and the sort of uh uh you know, uh, air raids and stuff in this very, very kind of gritty, nasty way.
Yeah, there seems like there's some, I don't know if there's granular synthesis that you used, and there's this these sort of this deep glide glissandi kind of thing, almost akin to what if you would use in double basses. So I could I can still hear the orchestral sensibilities, but definitely um, adapted to the the orchestration of the synths. And I think there's, I, I think I heard a distortion, not a guitar maybe, or something. It's, it's really quite a nice, you know, bouquet of various tones and textures when you're, even though there's these, this very adamant element to it, very throbbing, you could almost say it's, it's like an updated rite of spring. It's very primal, right? It's got that really primal, right. edgy, visceral wallop to it. It's kind of scary too. I, I, I listened to Demon 79 today. Again, I, then I listened right after to Lamia's Porum again, and I actually could see the symmetry there. There is some symmetry between the, again, the war stuff or the monster stuff in terms of just the, the, the texture and the, the, the approach. Yes, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, the sort of those wails, the sort of, sort of screams are quite similar, actually, between the, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, the whole sound also, even of the, of the string stuff is, uh, is on the, on the simpler end of what, I would normally do. I, I was tr trying to sort of exist in this in this relatively kind of film vernacular way. I think it's still in it. There's an awful lot of suspensions and stuff, so it still ended up being a bit a bit Chris Willisy. But <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I was definitely in, in in territory that's that's quite different from a, a lot of what I've been doing. And someone the other day asked me about the fact that it that it doesn't really modulate, which is so funny because. I've been so rude in the past about other people's scores that do that. And I still haven't quite resolved that. I, either I'm completely wrong and that uh, scores that don't modulate are fine. Or or I have some excuse that I haven't yet been able to verbalize or think of. Um, I mean, it did. It seemed right in this score for it, for it not to move that much tonally. I think because of the big contrast that you were talking about. Because you've got the very organic stuff and you've got this very evil stuff. So at least... If we if we find our way back to E minor, then you know, twenty minutes into the film, then our ear can sort of hear the continuity with other cues from way earlier, and you know, certain pitches. I, I started realizing I was sort of finding my way to that that B over and over in the movie felt very kind of uh, useful, you know, amid all of the weirdness of the synths to 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 find my way there. So yeah, I haven't quite resolved that in my mind. I mean, I used to always think it was absurd to do that, that the film should evolve and, and, and should you should know if you're three quarters of the way through the film, you should feel it deeply in the music and the in the in the harmonic language. But now yeah, now I'm now I'm all at sea. I don't know what I think about that. <laughs> it does feel like that though, as as one progresses through uh, at least as I found, uh, as I was progressing through the the tracks, there's you know, there's the Fireflies which has the the sort of the one of the key uh, ideas but I did find that by the time we got to or I got to the parable of the serpent I felt like there was it was moving dramatically and evolving and developing um, to me it's very meditative almost but not meditative in a static way uh, I love the fact that you use a lot of space between the phrases it's something that we don't hear a lot anymore. It's something you'd have to go all the way back to something like Francis Ford Coppola's uh, or Black Stallion, where there was a lot of space between, and the Black Stallion had also sort of Arabic um, solo flute things with, and just let let the, the gestures kind of, you know, resonate. 
It's nice to hear that. I was, um, thank you, I was, I was surprised actually at where we ended up with that, but we, we were finding we wanted the music to be in quite a lot, so there's even more music in the film than there is in the soundtrack. And being in so much, I didn't want to get annoying, you know, so I have to, to sort of develop this language of, of being in in a rather vague, ambient sort of way, with the odd gesture and then lots of reverb on it and then, and then kind of sitting back and then maybe a, a, a couple of violin notes. And again, sitting back, um, yeah, almost like certain traditions of of, of theatre or or, um, or shadow puppetry or something, you know, where they have music all the time, but it's all improvised, and so sometimes it gets very very slow and very sort of vague. Um, uh, but it was um, it, it it was nice to hit a groove and and eventually start feeling that instinctively. Well, the other thing that I found is you're you're often shifting between the full ensemble then you've got the the solo chairs of the principals playing almost in a quartet so you're getting a lot of uh timbral uh timbral sort of uh variation because you're going from a larger group and it was still a chamber group but it still feels bigger when everybody's playing versus your principals or yeah, just you I know for sure. doing that i feel like i still haven't finished i'm gonna probably keep doing that i've did that a whole bunch in david copperfield and really enjoyed doing that um uh, even in the middle of a kind of a, kind of a, a busy action, I hesitate to say action cue because David Copperfield isn't like an action movie. But but to come to the to the solo strings for a bit and then to and then to go back um, feels very uh, just very very uh, appealing to me. Um, some of the, some of those players are so blisteringly good. What group did you use for Copperfield? I, I I can't remember what it. They're in London, right? Yeah, I had a great experience on that because it was um, it was Aurora Orchestra, who are a, a pre-existing orchestra, um, uh, who don't do movies all the time, although they do some. Um, and I I know that some of the founding members and and, and Nicholas Collum, the, the the conductor, 
Um, I've, I've known them for years and years and years. So I sort of had, had the idea, God, you know, 20 years ago that it would be super cool to, to, um, well, back then I thought it would be super cool to ever work in a, on a movie, <laughs> but <laughs> assuming that that happened, it would be super cool to come back to London and to do a score with them. Uh, and that is also in the end, after many years, we, we did do that. And I just was so impressed with how I thought they were very good at the Englishness somehow and they were just so um homogenous I had a similar I did a, a, an album this 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 Eva Cassidy album I don't know if, if you know about it actually but with the LSO and again I was no, nothing against I've never had a you know I've had great experiences with with orchestras in Hollywood and, and with film orchestras but I do think that I, I, I've been very struck by the orchestras that I've worked with recently who know each other and work together all the time um it's beautiful just hearing them do this the, the simplest things because they all kind of agree about how how a crescendo should sound i could imagine working with 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 groups in the future who 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 are established groups because it is so so satisfying sometimes you get the same effect um anyway because you work with the same people uh, month, you know, year after year, I would say the 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 Mickey Mouse sessions ended up a bit like that because I worked with the same, almost the same big band, um, with with variations for many years, and they knew each other incredibly well. And so, to that extent, it's it, it was almost the same effect um, there, where the way the way that they swing and the way that they tune is is again very 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 kind of um, homogenous. I've I've heard your SoundCloud uh, page with with all of all of the different Mickey Mouse stuff. I mean, the, the just the the technique alone not not even counting the inspiration or the talent it's just it's crazy uh, to be you know asked to to do all these types of genres and do it executed so so well and i'm sure the timeline is very 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 quick on those oh that's very very kind of you yeah i <laughs> sometimes felt like the 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 show the directors of mickey mouse were trying to kill me um <laughs> um but uh I'm I'm now great friends with several of them, and what a man! What a what a, an experience! Um, it's just it's just sort of this. It's been this unique splurge of time making making those cartoons together, and as you say, yeah, doing a Bollywood one, and then doing a doing a uh, you know a one an Amsterdam one, and then a, yeah, um, I, and actually just just learning from the musical tastes of all of the other people. You know, Paul Rudish, the the showrunner, is has such great and wild musical tastes you know he had always wanted to do a disco one because he loves disco and he loves certainly he loves xanadu and he has certain sort of and 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 i but but i know that part of his motivation in wanting to do a disco one was 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 to actually be like okay now we have to now we've now we forced willis to to spend a month <laughs> obsessing over disco and see if he can uh, come up with anything uh, yeah what is great great experience before we conclude, what are, what's uh, on the future for you? And now that you've gotten past a couple of really incredible uh, projects in 2023, um, I'm working on another Eva Cassidy album. Actually, mm -hmm. um, we already have more tracks than we were able to fit on that album, so we have we have we had some already done by the time that one came out. Um, but I've been working on some more of those. Some of them lean more in the in the jazz direction because she loved to do jazz standards as well as these you know she did the, she did the slower ones which uh, which then we've extrapolated into these kind of lush stringy versions but she also did a lot of jazz standards and then you start thinking you start going down a kind of nelson riddle 
uh, rabbit hole. So that's that's very cool. I'm very excited about that. Um, uh, I'm about to start uh, something new with Disney, although I probably better not say too much about it. That's all very exciting. Um, and I've got I've got a couple of movies um, in the works. To, in terms of genre, we're all over the map. Um, and I'm working on a dramedy right now, although the score might end up being quite unconventional. So that could be could be stranger than one would expect from from if, if I were to tell you the the pitch. And I did a movie um, with Bill Burr. Bill Burr is um, his first uh, movie as director. I, I absolutely loved working with him. He's absolutely brilliant, and the film is hilarious. So I did a I did a comedy um, uh, with him with a kind of pretty rock and roll kind of score. Which is coming out in the in the fall, um, so quite a lot of uh, different, yeah, you know, well, things. So, oh, and and um, uh, Schmigadoon has been such a joy, and um, uh, I know that they are striking um, quite rightly. So season three is, is 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 in limbo, but season three will happen, I'm I'm sure. And I the, the little things I've heard about what it's going to be are so exciting so i'm very 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 uh uh excited about that i think i'm gonna have to i'm gonna get another opportunity to sort of flex some 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 weird muscles on that oh it's great based on what they said they're gonna do Well, thank you very much, Christopher, for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope we, hopefully you get uh, some sleep too. I know that that's going to be a tall order in the next uh, few months slash years. <laughs> yeah, he's um, he's been he's a, um, he's been a good boy so far. He's been letting us. He's he, he's he's fussy, but we're talking about a newborn. Um, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's um, he's been very good so far. But yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be wild. <laughs>